How you doing? I'm Ralph DiBagnara, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go! Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for today comes from William Arthur Ward and says, adversity causes some people to break and others to break records. Ralph D. Bagnara is one of the most recognized property experts in the world. After struggling financially in his younger days, Ralph committed to ending generational poverty, not just for his family, but for millions of others around the world. Since then, he's closed more than $40 billion in loans, amassed a personal portfolio of more than $15 million, and been featured in Forbes, MSNBC, and Yahoo Finance. He's a president of Home Qualified, vice president at Cardinal Financial, and host of TV show The Disruptors Network, which is available everywhere, including Amazon, Roku, and DirecTV. Recently, Ralph launched a mentoring program for inner-city young adults called the Generation Disruptor Scholarship Program, developed to educate students on how to get into the real estate industry, break generational curses, and cultivate leaders in their communities. In this episode, we talk about how to succeed in real estate investing, the biggest financial mistakes people make, how to leverage social media to build your business, and what you can do to cultivate a mindset for massive success. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. Let's win the day with Ralph DiBagnara. Ralph, great to see you, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on the Win the Day show. Thanks for having me. I, um, I'm jealous a little bit because I'm on the other side of the world again. I was just by you in California and the weather is much better there than it is in New York, but I, 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 uh, I'm happy to be here anyway. Oh, it's always great to see you. LA weather today has really turned it on, so I, I wish you were here too, but it won't be too long, I'm sure, until you're, until you're back out here. Well, to kick things off, is there, is there a particular memory or story from when you were younger that stands out and is still so vivid for you today? Yeah, you know, so I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I, I, you know, my life was really, really uh, New York. Um, I, you know, it, my my grandparents came from Italy. Uh, my parents were, were second generation here, and um, New York City is very uh, neighborhood centric, right? Like my neighborhood was all Italian. Italian, so I, I think that if I have memories um, from childhood that really shaped me, it was just you know, um, I lived at the schoolyard, which was like four blocks from my house. So I, I you know, I think I probably have a hundred moments from there that I remember, but. Just very, uh, just that very New York authentic. Uh, that it was just, I, you know, I told my son the other day, and, and you have you have a young daughter, so he'll probably resonate with you. I he was at I was coming from his basketball game. He's eight, and um, you know, I, I try to go to every basketball game and every basketball practice, right? And I said to him, um, he had he had had a particularly like lazy day. He just said no effort. So and, and I don't as long as he tries, I'm good. So we left. I was like, you know, buddy, did you do you know who used to come to all my games, and my practices when I was a kid? And he's like, who? I was like. Nobody. I was like, they were working. I was like, I took myself. <laughs> so I was like, the fact that I come, I taught effort out of you. But you know, it was just kind of like we came home from school, we grabbed our stuff, we went to the schoolyard, like, and we just figured it out, right? 
Oh, it's so good. I, I love that story. And, and your life now, it's so much about this contribution. You've been able to, to help so many people around the world. I love all the awesome things that you're doing. I, I want to know what was the tipping point for you that moment when you thought about uh, being rather than a uh, participant in life, uh, rather than being a spectator in life, that you wanted to be a, a participant, like a change maker. What was, what was that moment when you actually realize you had much more power than you had ever given yourself pre- uh, credit for previously? I think uh, around 2015, 2016, um, I was had I was finding success again in mortgages and mortgages has been a little bit of a roller coaster for me. And that's mostly what my life is. It's right. I run a mortgage company and that's mostly what my job has been. I'm all around real estate, but that was always the main gig, right? Um, and I went through 2008 and I went through the crash and I came back in the 2015, 2016, I was back to really... A pretty large group of people underneath me, a, a very, very healthy business um, and stability. And in 2008 and 2009, 2010, when after the market crash, um, I said to myself, I just want to be comfortable again. You know, I lost everything. So I was like, I just want to get back to being comfortable again. If I get back to being comfortable again, then everything will be great. Right. And then I got back to being comfortable and I was so unhappy, James. Um, I was just looking around and I was like, this isn't it. Like, you know, this isn't what I want. So I think. That was a real tipping point where I, I feel like I had to push myself to grow at that point and push myself out of a comfortable. I didn't comfortable. Now I realize at this point, now being comfortable is probably the worst place I could be ever. Right? <laughs> like I have to be uncomfortable. So I had to push myself out of being comfortable, and I, that's when I really started to get out there on social media, um, try to really uh, get out in the community and start doing stuff to, to kind of build my community to bring more people to me. And and I think around that time, just realizing that I was so unhappy and, and being comfortable and stagnant that I, you know, I just, I really pushed myself to kind of, to move. Yeah. We've got a ton of things to unpack there. I'm really excited to talk about the business and how you've used social media to be able to do that. Of course, everything on the property uh, and investment side as well. Uh, 2007 to 2010, that was a crazy time for the world. The subprime mortgage crisis in Australia, we called it the global financial crisis. I was working in financial planning at the time. And I mean, the volatility and uncertainty of that was absolutely crazy. Can you take us into perhaps the most memorable day that you had? Because you were working on Wall Street, weren't you, during that time? I was, yeah. Yeah, take um, yeah, us so into, into the yeah the, the perhaps the, the craziest time or, or the biggest memory, the most memorable day that you have from that, that era. So, so my, um, my office was on um, Maiden Lane, which is a block over from Wall Street, which is Federal Reserve Plaza. So what's funny about that is everything went on in the Federal Reserve at that point. That's where all the meetings were happening. This is where everything was happening. I was in Federal Reserve Plaza and my apartment was like a half a block away. Um, I was really done. It was great. It was a great setup at the time, right? I lived in this beautiful apartment um, overlooking the East River. And uh, I came out of my apartment. I was walking up the block to go to my office and I got an email on my phone and it said, uh, you know, I worked at Deutsche Bank at the time, which was a a European bank, but they had just acquired my company probably two years earlier. So we get an email and it says, um, we're eliminating all of these products, all of these mortgage products. And I looked at it and I was like, well, this is about 95% of the business I'm doing right now. That doesn't make any sense. This has got to be a mistake. Let me get up to the office. And sure enough, I got up to the office and it wasn't a mistake. Um, they, were be- they were essentially pulling out of mortgages completely. Uh, and I never forget the guy who I was working uh, under at the time, who was, who was one of the, the, the senior vice presidents at the company. I walked into the office and his door was closed. And I was like, this is a bad sign. Uh, and you know, sure enough, that, that, that was really the beginning of the end for me. And it, and I walked back down to my apartment and I went upstairs and I looked, I turned, you know, financial news on and it was just a free fall. And that was, I think that was either the day or the next day that uh, the Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns stuff started happening, where they started to um, start to see problems and that stuff started to happen. And then um, for the next, 
I would say year and a half, it was just a uh, complete mayhem, but that was a very memorable moment for me that day. Like, just like, wait, this, this can't be right. And it was a hundred percent right. Yeah. American houses. I mean, everyone thought that was the safest thing that you could, you could possibly invest in. And uh, I know that a lot of the work that you're doing now is in real estate and helping a lot of people uh, basically take charge of their future through an awareness and an education of, of uh, investments specifically in real estate and mortgages and that type of thing. What is the problem that you wanted to solve with the work that you do today? I know you do a ton of things, so you could take that wherever you want. And, and why did it fall on your shoulders to do that? So I think, so first, in regards to um, my business and, and stuff I do around my business, when we went through the pandemic, uh, you know, when that started, and then all the stuff with George Floyd started about, you know, six or eight months later, and I live in, you know, I live right outside of New York City, uh, and the city was getting hit particularly hard between rioting and looting and, and protesting and all that stuff. And uh, I kind of felt helpless. You know, I, you know, I, I, I was sitting around and I was like, there's got to be something I can do. And I felt helpless. And I remember, I don't watch the news, but I was getting up every single day to watch the news to see what happened overnight in the city. And it was just a nightmare. Uh, so, you know, a couple of days, I actually got in my car and I drove into one of the boroughs. I drove to the Bronx one day and I drove to Manhattan another day. And I just, with a broom, garbage bag, and I stopped help, started helping people cleaning up, thinking that would make me feel better. And then I would left and feel the same way. Like, what did I really do? Like, what did I really accomplish? And I didn't think that me protesting or marching was going to be the best use of my time. I just didn't. I just, I, I was like, there's got to be a better use of me. So um, I decided, I don't know how it came about, but I decided to start a scholarship program because I thought that the best thing that I could do was give people access that I had access to that they didn't have access to, right? So I, if I could give them access to, to my world, something they, they have nothing, nothing to do with, um, if they have the, the want or need, then you know, I think that I, I could help some people. So we started going to the community colleges. Um, to the youth centers. And I really wanted to get a group of people, you know, younger people, 25 or under, 23 or under, who um, maybe have been in a, a trying situation, but they had the want and the need to, to, to learn the financial business and get licensed in, in either real estate or mortgage or something like that. So that's what we did. And I just kind of started it on a whim. And our first class had four people in it. And I gave them a salary for um, Three months, ninety days, and the idea at the end, the end of ninety days was that they were either going to be licensed and or they were going to matriculate into another position. Um, and it was it was not what I expected, and it was crazy. And and but you know, all four of them ended up with jobs within my company, so that was great. And um, I believe that three of them are still with me, and it's about almost two years later, um, it's a year and a half later, they're still with me. So and that was the beginning of it. And and, and I just feel like if I can help people. Um, you know, when I really look at myself in general, all the stuff I do, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily anything special about me. I think that I just work really, really hard and I care, right? I'm very passionate and I work really hard. So I'm trying to show people that you can do it too, as long as you just take those, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, and, and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to impact change um, through the stuff that I have access to. Yeah, and what I love about your work is you're not it's it's the whole don't give someone a fish, it's teach them how to fish so they can be responsible for their own future, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the most important, you know, it, and it's hard for me to comment on this sometimes, but cause you know, as a white male, right? Like I, you know, you, you it, it, there's, there's almost a stigma attached at this point that it's hard for me to comment on anything. Cause I don't know if I'm really seeing the true picture that everybody else is seeing and, and from that matter. Right. But, but at the same time, I really truly believe in this country that you can get over every obstacle and you can get to heights that you never thought you could just by hard work. And I think some people's obstacles are higher than others. And, that, and I think that's where my, my, my common sense has got to come in a little bit. But I also feel like if you give somebody access and you teach them how to do it, 
but they can be they can be as as or more successful than me as long as they're willing to be. That that generational poverty is a big part of your mission. For those who don't know about generational poverty, what is it specifically, and what can those who are in that cycle do to be able to get out of it to change that that story and that cycle for them and their family once and for all? Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, your surroundings sometimes put limitations on you. You know, whether it's family members or your neighborhood or you know, maybe even where you work, you put these limitations on you. And, and, I, and I think that if you accept those limitations, then you just continue to stay where you are always, right? Like you continue to get pulled back in. And it's, it, you know, it's like that crab in the barrel, you know, syndrome, right? Like it's just, you, you keep getting pulled back. And I feel it sometimes like, I, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome and stuff like that, but I feel like that sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, almost guilt, feel, you feel guilt for leaving that stuff behind, but you should, I want to better myself. And I think other people should want to also. So as, as long as you're not putting the limitations on ourselves, because I think besides that, there are no limitations. What people think of us isn't necessarily who we are. And as long as we realize that, then, then there is no limitation. You know, you can really do as much as you can. But I, I think that's how we break the, the, um, the cycle of generational poverty, right? We just show people that there is more than people are telling them there is, than, than their surrounding, surroundings are telling them are. And I'm going to show you how, what that is. You know, from a mindset thing particularly i've always had an issue with it doesn't matter who you are but if someone says to you you just have no hope it's like we were born into this or that's the situation i just i can't relate to that you and i we've, we're around people we've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people between the two of us who have risen from just the most harrowing moments that possibility that there is a better life for you if you start to take that accountability think about what it is that you want from success out of this one extraordinary life you have and find mentors whether it's in books if you can't find people in your network but there's got to be something that you can do just to take one tiny step forward to start to build a bit of momentum yeah you're you're 100 right I, I, you know somebody told me a story recently um that they had written a book and they had, they had called their sister to read through it and, and her sister had said to her are you crazy um this is a copy of somebody else's book and um you know if she would have accepted that she would have just been that, you know, she would have never put the book out. She would have never done anything. And I've had similar incidences. And, and by the way, the book went out to be amazing, right? So, but I've had similar incidents of that in my life where people close to me were like, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. And if I would have just accepted that as fact, and you know, what happened to me as recent as this weekend, right? Where somebody said to me like, why are you doing this, this, and this? You, and and just, you have to, the biggest thing I could say about me and what I, what I want everybody else to be is just be comfortable with yourself. Like I'm very, very comfortable with who I am. Whoever that is, whatever my flaws are, I'm just very comfortable with who I am. And if you can get comfortable with yourself, then you, then you can counteract all of that stuff. Win the day, fam. The most important opinion is how you feel about yourself. You've heard it on this yeah. show many, many times. Ralph has echoed it here. It's it's so true, my friend. You've you've mentioned books as well. Were there one or two books that have contributed most to the mindset you you have today? Are you much of a reader, or have there been other resources that have been more instrumental in your development? Yeah, I've become a huge reader. Um, so, so now I read daily, it's part of my routine daily. I, I do audiobooks because I, you know, it, it, I work, I exercise in the mornings and I listen to the audiobooks while I exercise and I kind of task stack, right? So I become a, and to be totally honest with you, a book that you are heavily involved in was a big part of my life. Think and Grow Rich is, you know, like a lot of other people, but that was a big influence on my life in general, just a change in mindset. Uh, you know, I like Malcolm Gladwell a lot, like a lot of his stuff, you know, I, there's a, there's a bunch, but I will say that that book, um, kind of shifted my mindset. And I come from a very hardworking family, but they weren't entrepreneurial. You know, I really thought that coming into life was, 
you've got a job with a company, you worked there for 30 years, you got your pension, you retired and you kind of, you kind of, that's how you made it. And that could be a daunting task. And, and it kind of set me up the wrong way because it wasn't my mentality. I was, I was, I was adapting to somebody else's mentality, but books like that and a book like that really, really impacted me a lot. Yeah, letting people know that there's actually an alternative path out there that you don't need to get top grades in high school, then top grades in, in university, and then stay at the same job for 20 or 30 years. I feel like today having a job for three years is probably considered long term in, in many professions. Yeah, we've gone to the other side of the extreme now. Yeah. Like where, where people, it's, it's, completely, it's completely opposite. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, um, I believe it was last week, about how, uh, you know, they were talking about generations. They were talking about how this generation. Um, you know, they've changed the, the narrative and, and they want to work less hours and they want to work less time and and kind of what you said, right? They're not staying at the same job. And I look at that and I think that there's there's two sides to that story as well, because I think the newer generations haven't been through any recessions yet either, right? We've been in an up economy for a long time. So I'm curious to see how the narrative changes a little bit as we go. Um, and if it goes back, if it's a combination of old and new or if it just changes completely, right? Yeah, it will be interesting to, to watch, that's for sure. You mentioned some of the people that you've you've worked with before and some of the transformations that you're taking them on more, more uh, broadly. Out of all of the people that you have worked with to start take ownership and start to take charge of, of their life, is there one particular transformation that stands out to you or that you're most proud of? That's a good question. Um, I think there's a bunch and that's where I feel blessed. Uh, I think where I can say the most is that I have probably uh, between 15 and 20 employees now, and I have about 250 employees between me and my partner, but I have probably about 15, between 15 and 20 employees that have been with me for 15 years plus. So I think if I can say anything, and, and, and they all have good stories, but I think if I can say anything that having those people with me still is such a, it's such a, a source of pride for me, right? Like I had, Somebody asked me yesterday about one of um, my managers. She's like, I was on the phone with him. He's a really great sales guy. I'm like, yeah, he's worked with me since like I was six months in the business. I was like, that's why we're still together because he's, he's, he's a good person. He's grown a lot and he, and he echoes a lot of the things that I preach. So if I could say anything, it, it's having that, that, that small group of people that are still with me after all this time. Yeah, it's such a it's such a great validation of you as a leader. It's like when you go to a restaurant that you've been going to over time, you go back there 10 years later and they still have some of the same the same wait staff or other people there as part of that business. It says a lot about you. So, uh, great acknowledgement for you my friend for all of the work that you're Thank you. that you're doing. We'll be back with the show shortly. If you're a business owner and have a podcast of your own, we've got a free gift just for you. It's called the Recurring Results Roadmap, and we've created it to give you a detailed blueprint to scaling your business using your podcast. So if you're overwhelmed with a never-ending to-do list, struggling to work on the business instead of in it, or simply want the formula to massive business growth, this is for you. Click the link in the show notes and download a free copy of the Recurring Results Roadmap. It will show you exactly how you can use a podcast to maximize your business revenue. All right, let's get back into the fun. I'd love to switch gears now and talk about things like real estate investing. Now, full disclosure, my background is in things like financial planning where shares and the share market and that type of thing, whether it's direct stocks or mutual funds, ideally a combination of, of both, they're the sure. things that I'm more comfortable in. I don't really have a great deal of experience in real estate investing myself. I feel like it's a, a very high growth industry now, a lot, like more broadly, people want to get into real estate investing. Uh, at time of recording here, house prices have gone, pri- house prices 
prices have gone absolutely berserk. Interest rates are at record lows, uh, much lower than 2000 and you know what happened in the in the subprime mortgage crisis. Sure. Um, stock market at at record highs. Uh, give me your take on what you're seeing right now, and perhaps share some of the opportunities that you're seeing for those that might have cash on the sidelines. If if there are any opportunities with everything so high, um, I think that money is still cheap. Uh, so, in, so 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 overview. I think that money is still very very cheap, right? So. A five hundred thousand dollar property now at three percent is still be cheaper for you monthly than a seven hundred thousand dollars at four percent, maybe three years from now. So I think that's you have to examine the possibilities now, even though prices are high because money is so cheap. It's always better to buy when when money is cheap rather than prices are low because and I've been through it all, right? And but but the thing I could say about real estate in general, I think where the opportunities are. So this is where I'm seizing opportunities right now and what I've been hot on. Um, I'm doing a lot of short term rental stuff. So Airbnb, VRBO, and that, and you know the strategies have changed over the last ten years. There's been different trends, but people were flipping homes for a long term, right? They were buying and fixing them and selling them for a profit. In my opinion, unless you're in an area that I don't know about, the margins are way too thin to, to be to do that at this point. If you want to grind out a living and you make a few thousand here and a few thousand here, then then you can 100% still do it. But I think that the margins are too small on flipping, so it's not something I'm looking at. I like real estate long term always. Short, I could tell you on short-term rentals, so stuff through Airbnb and VRBO and stuff like that, and I'll get a little bit further into that. Um, I'm making probably three times as much monthly income on that as I, I would make on something that I would consider a long-term rental. So a home that I'm renting or a multifamily home I'm renting or an apartment that I'm renting, right? Um, I think the reasoning for that is a couple of things. I think that uh, the culture has shifted, right? The pandemic shifted the culture. And, and Airbnb was popular before that, but it's more popular now because people just want to get away. They can work from home. They can work from anywhere. They want to have experiences, and they want to, and they want to use people's homes and have space to do it. So, culture has shifted. Along with the culture shifting, everybody jumped on the bandwagon. So, it's not just Airbnb and VRBO. It's Expedia. It's Booking.com. It's other sites like PeerSpace, where you can rent your house for photo shoots. Um, there's sites where you can rent your swimming pool in your backyard for parties for hundred dollars, hundred dollars an hour. There is, I mean, everything you could think of, you can rent your house for, right? So. I think I like a model that is not one way. So long-term rentals are: I have to get you to sign a lease. You sign a year lease. You stay. In, you stay in. The, you stay in the house or the apartment, whatever it is. For short-term rentals, I have like five or six different funnels that I can pull through to pull income in on a property. So it's more work. It's a hundred percent more work, and people need to understand that it's like managing a hotel. But at the same time, it's it's a lot more income, and that's why I really gravitated to it over the last three years. Um, I really, you know, all of my buying over, I would say, the last 18 months has been really stuff that's mostly meant for short-term rentals. Are you concerned about the legislative risk of things like Airbnb? I know there's been some regions where all of a sudden the government has come in and said, look, you know, a minimum of 30 days and, and I think even longer in some places. Yeah, so, so, what I, so that's a great question. Uh, so what I look for with that is I want to buy in places that they have regulations in place already. Because a lot of places, have, a, lot of, a lot of cities have nothing, right? They're like, oh, this is great. There's no regulations. I don't view that as being positive because I don't want to be, I'm afraid of the unknown. I want to go someplace where there has been a lot of talk about it. There is regulation. But you know, even in that place, you're not always safe because I'll use Nashville for an example. Nashville is probably one of the biggest uh, short-term rental markets in the country, if not the biggest. They're changing the laws there now um, because it's gotten, it's gotten overwhelming. So even in those areas, you have to really be careful. So I, yeah, I, I think the best advice I can give somebody is that you have to have a great exit strategy, whether or not it's booming or not, right? And the mistake I made in 07, 08, 09, where I had a lot of properties and I had the, the, a strategy that went completely 
I was bust, right? I had no exit strategy. So when the when my strategy went bust, I had no way to get out of the properties. So now I'm trying to buy properties where um, the short term rental income is good, but if if it goes away completely, it's still a good investment. I can still get long term rental that's going to keep me as a positive cash flow and or the properties I can sell for a profit. So I, I think you just have to be smart about where you're buying and the, and, and have an exit always. Mm, it's it's they're really great points. So the idea of that for those who don't know, it's to use the historically low interest rates right now to be able to borrow enough money to be able to get a property that's already generating very very consistent income in an area that should do pretty well again historically. And the return, the rental, uh, what you're accruing from people who stay there goes to pay off your mortgage. So you get the income above what's being paid for your mortgage as well as growth in the property. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, 100% correct. So for people who are thinking about getting into real estate investing, and as a lot of people out there, I, I feel like there uh, it might be people, you, you've obviously got the runs on the board over the long term, but it's a bit like in the pre-2007 levels, just because people got it right once in the share market or in the real estate market, they think they're experts at some of these different things. And that means, that unfortunately, they can set a lot of people up for failure or they don't really know what they're talking about. You absolutely know what you're talking about and you've helped so <laughs> many people and done billions of dollars worth of transactions. For people who want to learn more about real estate investing or just want to succeed in real estate investing and they haven't got that background, what are the steps that they should go through to be able to do that? I think first, you know, find out what you do, you do to qualify as a homeowner. So this could be any mortgage bank, but I would, you know, everybody loves real estate, but the first thing everybody does is they go look on Zillow and they call a realtor and they go look for a house. They don't even know how much they're approved for. So the first part of it is to try to go through the pre-approval process, which is a short process. It takes a couple of hours to get someone to look at your documents and get you pre-approved, tell you exactly how much you qualify for. With that, you should start researching the programs you have. Like if I was to tell somebody that had no homes and they wanted to start today, right? And they wanted, to, I want to buy three homes over the next two years. Uh, it, it would be a very simple process. I, I would tell somebody to start with an FHA loan um, most of the time, it, it, depending on the situation, because it allows you to get into a home with as little as three and a half percent down at a very, very competitive interest rate. The, homes, the, the loans are really meant for first-time home buyers, right? I would use that. Those properties, you, you're, you are required to live in them for at least 12 months before you're able to rent them. I would take that money. I would rent the property after 12 months. In, in best case scenario, I would buy a multifamily home if I could, because you could still buy a multifamily home. So uh, for your audience, that's anything between two and four units. Um, if, you can, if your city has that, I would go that way first. And um, I would take my profits from my rent at the end of the 12 months, I would then, then you could use 5% down to buy another home. I would take my profits, use that for my 5%. I would buy another home. I would live in that 12 months and repeat the cycle. And, I, and, and you can really build a portfolio up to about six homes that way. Um, that same exact pro- process up to about six homes. And that's how I would start. Uh, you know, I started, my first property ever was a multifamily home and I lived for free. You know, so, so, so I was able to collect enough rent where I lived for free. And, and I was very young at the time. So that is, that's 100% where I would start because um, it's not going to be a strain on your finances and, and you can use it to kind of build the foundation to go to the next step. What about those who are concerned about the debt being taken on if the loan to valuation ratio is at those levels? Yeah. So, you know, that, I, I always tell people, this is very, very important. Um, when buying a house, two things you should never do. Don't leave yourself cash poor and look at your actual finances and what you can afford monthly. I think that's the most important thing. Like, I want you to do an audit of your finances. Like, this is what myself, because here's the thing I will tell you about mortgages. 
When you're approved for a mortgage, the mortgage company does not look at your cell phone bill, at your car insurance bill. They don't look at your health insurance. They don't look at any of those ancillary, your utilities. They don't look at any of that stuff, right? Your monthly spending on restaurants, none of that comes in. They're only looking at your, your monthly debt that's on your credit report, which is really only your revolving debt on your credit cards or your cars or your student loans. So it's really not a full picture of your finances. And on top of that, they're, they're letting you qualify usually up to 45, 50%, 50% of your gross income. Your gross income isn't your actual income. Your net income is what you're taking home, right? So it's not an accurate portrayal of what your finances are. So you really need to be honest with yourself and saying, hey, you know, I'm making $10,000 a month. I believe I can afford $3,000 a month in a mortgage based off of my own budgeting because your monthly payment is what you're stuck with every single month. Not your interest rate, not your down payment, not the equity in your home. It's that, it's that bill that comes every single month. So it's very, very important that you look, you're comfortable with your payment. Um, more than anything. And as long as you are comfortable with your payment and you can withstand it, long term, um, you will make, I think you will always make money on real estate if you're able to withstand some of the waves. And what do you, what do you like more about real estate over something like shares? So it, it, I've experienced um, long term that I'm, I, I can outrun a lot of my mistakes, right? Uh, so you know, if I make a mistake on, on a stock or crypto or an NFT or whatever it is at this point, um, I may feel the, the burden of that really, really quickly, right? Like, like to the point where it, it eats up all my liquidity and, and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me financially. In 2007, I had um, a couple of properties in Florida still, which is one of the hardest hit states by, by the financial crisis. They were literally worth about 30 cents on the dollar when the end of the crisis was fit, by, by the end of the crisis. So, so destroyed, right? And I couldn't sell them and I didn't want to, I have, I had I held a licensing, so I couldn't just walk away from them because I had a financial responsibility to, to keep that, to keep my licenses. So I had to figure out a way to get around it. But the truth of the matter is, is that I still own two of them. Um, what I, and they're worth more than I bought them for now. Right. So, so 13 years later, they're worth more than I bought them for. Would I consider them good investments? No, but they weren't good buys. So I made a mistake. Right. But I'm, I've been able to outrun my, my, my mistake with longevity. So I, I think that in real estate, it's a safe enough bet where you, where if you make some mistakes, and I don't want you to make any mistakes, but if you make some mistakes, it's not going to be damning for the rest of your life. You can, as long as you can withstand the payment, you can outrun a lot of your mistakes in real estate. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, taking the time to, to buy well rather than the very first property you see. And when my wife and I, we, we bought a, a family home about two years ago now, literally the very first house we saw, I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, we have to, we have to get this house. And I could see how people would be in that exact same situation, but instead taking the time to do your research on the market and consult to experts and really get a good feel for what is a good value buy. I mean, where we live here, it is crazy with, with property levels and things like that. But if you've got no sense of, of what's going on in the market, then you're going to be much more likely to buy something that might be a, a bit of a dud. Whereas if you buy yeah. well, then you, you <laughs> can get much better uh, growth over time. Super, it's super important to, to do the research up front. And, and people, a lot of people fall in love with homes that aren't theirs, right? And then they overbid. And, and, they, and that's, I think that's the level of mistake of buying a house. Like you're, you're like, this is it. Like you're in love with something that's not yours. And if I could tell anybody why I've been successful over the last 10 years, it's I'm always willing to walk away. You know, I'm never, I, 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 I come in with a price that I'm willing to pay. I go in with a budget that I'm will, I, I have to have. And if it, and you know, a lot of times you'll talk to realtors and they'll be like, you don't want to lose the house over $10,000. And that's all relative. Like maybe I do, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it doesn't fit my, my plan. So I think you have to have a definitive plan. You have to have a definitive budget and you have to stick to it no matter what. And you can't give yourself any leeway there. 
Yeah, removing the emotion out of that seems like a big piece. You've got your numbers, you've got your plan, stick to the plan rather than falling in love with something. It's, yeah. It's not yours and getting in big trouble. So true. 100% <laughs> true. Social media has been a big amplifier for you with the way you've been able to build your business and your profile and everything else, which has been so great to watch. Uh, what specifically did you do with social media that was able to help you uh, move the needle so much in your business and in your life? I think it's 17 or 18, I, 17, I started to be like, hey, I need to, I need to stop putting myself out there a little bit more. Um, and the reason I did, and this is for anybody that's listening to that feels like this, I was leading a group of people at a company, but that I didn't really have any leverage. And I don't like to use the word leverage, but I didn't have anything that was really making me unique, right? I didn't have a value proposition for them, except that I was reliable. I knew what I was doing. But besides that, like they were really out there in the world doing their thing as salespeople. And I didn't have anything... So I started to look at it. I was like, I have to put myself out front. One, to, to give myself my own self-security, right? So I realized that I'm bringing something different value-wise to, to the general public and to the people around me. And secondly, if I up my profile and my brand, I can help the people around me more. And then I bring more value to them. So through social media, I really started making people familiar with my voice. And I think the problem with social media in a lot of places, and this is why I appreciate you and your page and your podcast and everything else, is that a lot of the people you see out there just aren't authentic to what they're saying, Right. They're, they're, they're portraying one type of image, but there isn't a lot of uh, substance behind that. And I think a big problem I have with social media is the people who, who have real substance aren't speaking. And, and you know, so I wanted to be that person that was both. And I wanted, wanted to be authentic. And I felt like if I was authentic, it was going to take longer, but eventually it would pull people into me as long as I worked hard at it. So you know, my branding has really brought me so many opportunities. And the company that my group is placed with now on the mortgage side, where we did about, we're going to do about $2 billion this year. Um, when it came time to negotiate my deal with them, um, the you know the, the the parent company, I had a lot more leverage going in because I had a bigger social media presence than they they had as a company, and 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 that was if I could give you any testimonial, that was my testimonial. You know, I was a voice in my business um, more than they as a company were a voice in the business. So it, when I went to negotiate my deal, it gave me a lot of leeway to get things I wanted that I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah, people. People want a promotion in their business, but if you are unable to prove the value of that, then it's going to be so much harder for them to justify paying you a lot more for it, which is which is great. Social media game is a, a game of consistency as well. Obviously, it's something that you've been able to build up over the long term. And, and something you said there, I think is very, very important. There's a lot of good people out there with great ideas and, and great knowledge and expertise, but they're not speaking. You need to figure out your truth and what message you want to share with the world. Connect that with your business. It's, it's a big thing that we do in the business that we have that helps people grow their business using their podcast is to get super clear on your, your authentic, your unique truth and connect that with your business and find an audience of people you're passionate about serving. If you can do that and then stay consistent with your messaging, then you can move mountains over time. Yeah, it's so true. That's, that's a really, really good point. It really, you know, I, and I sat next to somebody this weekend. I was out in San Diego for the Breeders' Cup, and I sat next to someone, someone, um, and she was a commodities trader in the '90s and the early 2000s. She was one of the only women that were doing it at a high level, and she 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 worked for Warren Buffett for 11 years trading silver for him. And I, when I, as soon as she said it to me, I was like, I have two million questions for you. Like I really <laughs> like I, I, I was like I have so many questions for you. And um, but what I said to her is like. You're the type of person who needs to talk. Like, why aren't you talking? Why haven't you written a book? Why aren't you on social media? Like, you do nothing. And uh, and, I, and I explained to her that I don't want to put it like it's a responsibility, but it almost is a responsibility. Like, you have something to really share with people that's going to help them. Like, not doing it is not really helping anybody. And, and you're the kind of person that, that everybody wants to hear from. So, you know, I just think if you're out there in the world and you have a lot of substance, 
you almost have a responsibility to do more of this. Yeah, so true. Uh, the Disruptors Network, you're, you're doing big things at a great level now. Talk to us about the Disruptors Network and what people can do to go and find more information about that. Yeah, so Disruptors Network uh, originally started as a weekly webinar I was doing to um, help people through the pandemic. <clears throat> it was originally the Real Estate Disruptor, which is all these huge events I used to throw. And then COVID came and we couldn't throw events anymore. And Real Estate Disruptors turned into the Disruptors Network. And I was having like, these weekly webinars to tell people what I knew about the past that, that was uh, relevant to today's market, what was going on in the present, what I thought was going to happen in the future. And I would bring in high-level people to, to talk. It wasn't just me. It would bring in high-level people to talk. So I was helping educate people. So right, that's where the Disruptors Network really was built around. How do we educate people around us in our community? And, and in turn, we'll all build business together. And that's what I really wanted from the Disruptors Network. So um, that turned into last February, we launched the first season of our TV show. Um, and it, it was eight episodes highlighting um, entrepreneurs who were not only having success, but they were showing other people how they had success and bringing other people with them. And that was on all the streaming networks. It was on Amazon Prime and Roku and YouTube and uh, all that. And now this year, it's season two we're filming now, which is going to be six episodes. It's going to be on the same platform, but it's also going to be on DirecTV on Thursday nights, um, starting hopefully by February. Um, we're just wrapping up filming now. So it, it's, and it, it, that's me um, getting people's voices out there that I feel like need to be heard and that, that have a good message that's going to help other people. So it's turned into a TV show and the podcast, but um, now we're putting out an educational series next year, next year that's going to be a masterclass. And the first class we're actually doing is based around short-term rentals. So um, I'm just trying to speak my truth and I'm doing it through the Disruptors Network. Yeah, you, you recognize the power of media and other people's voices and collaboration to be able to do that. It's great, these, these big things you're doing. Well done on that. Uh, question Thank I you. want to ask you. If you, were, if you were dropped into a new country, let's assume that you could speak the language and all you had, maybe Australia, <laughs> all you had yeah. was a laptop and $100, what would you do to build your business again? So I love this question because I think about this a lot lately. Uh, and it's almost like a challenge I give to myself. It's like, if I had nothing again and I had to start completely over, like, like almost like undercover millionaire, right? Like, wh you know, wh what could I do? So if it was a different country. No matter what business it was, I think that what I've realized now is that being somebody that can generate business by um, providing value to somebody else, so networking, right? So, so going out in the world and networking to people to provide some kind of value to them that you guys can build business together. I 100% think that I know I could do it again no matter where I was. Just by focusing on one thing, coming to the conclusion like, okay, this is the business I'm going to be in. I'm going to focus on this. How do I become a master of my craft in this business? And in turn, how do I go out in the world and meet people that can help me and in turn, I can help them? Because when 2008 happened, the number one mistake that I made is that I worked at my company for seven years before that happened. I didn't know anybody outside of my company. So when, when it crashed and it closed, like, I, was, I started over. It was a complete start over. And I was a senior vice president at a publicly traded company at the time. And it didn't matter. I completely started over because I didn't know anybody. It's like so all your eggs were in the one basket. That was it. Yeah. So like now I realize that my network is my power. So if you would drop me anywhere, I would build my network um, within something that I chose that I felt like I could be good at. And, and I think through that, I could be successful again. Yeah, becoming a person of value and using the power of relationships is huge. We should give a, a shout out to Brandon T. Adams, our good mutual friend. Ralph and I were both speaking yeah. at this event, Rise and Record in Florida, which is coming up again soon. So go and check out Rise and Record and Brandon T. Adams. Uh, he's doing some, some great things and it's just so nice to get back 
to seeing people in person and attending events. 100%. And when there's that natural connection there and you have enough value through the years and years of work that you have done or develop some type of specialized knowledge like Napoleon Hill talks about in Thinking Grow Rich, then it means that you can get some really big things happening through the power of relationships. Uh, one final question now, Ralph, before we hop into sure. the win the day rocket round. On your best okay. day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard to show yourself on your worst day? Keep moving forward. Yeah, you know how, and no matter how bad the day is, no matter what's going on, just don't freeze one step in front of the other. Just keep moving forward. And and I show up at work every single day, no matter what's going on in my life. And there's been some crazy things going on, but I always show up, show up at work, or show up for my family, or show up whatever I have to do. Um, no matter how bad I feel, I always show up, and I always feel better afterwards. You know, uh, regress is is never going to feel good, and progress is always going to feel great. So I think just keep moving forward. Yeah, I actually read that about you in, a, in an article on, online before this interview. And uh, I think that's a product of also having been through the recession like we saw in that 2007, 2010 period. You know that this too shall pass. And the reps that you do when everyone else is freaking out is what's going to set you up for massive victory because you've established so much yeah. momentum that doesn't look like much at the time. No, you, you know, you're almost welcome it sometimes when the, when the pandemic happened and I knew I had to close my offices. And we had to close, you know, forty offices. Um, everybody had to go work from home. I, I looked at my my immediate staff, my my direct team, and I was like, "We're just not going to freeze. I don't care what we do. We're just not going to freeze. We're going to figure it out. We're going to talk on Zoom. We're going to move forward every single day. As long as we don't freeze, we will make progress. I promise you." And the last few years have been great business wise for me, and mortgages and real estate have been great. So that's part of it. But it's great for me because you you just said it, you hit it on the head. I, I had momentum. I never let my momentum stop. Right, so I had momentum to keep going when everybody else stopped. I had the momentum. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some quick answers. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Uh, a quote by uh, William Ward. It's uh, adversity causes some men to break and others to break records. <laughs> Powerful stuff. Uh, yeah, Mic yeah, drop. Yeah, we could almost yeah. end it there. Yeah, so that's good. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Love that one. Uh, number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Can I say neither? I, I, I don't drink anymore. I stopped drinking about eight years ago. And if I drink coffee in the morning, I would run through a wall. So I try to just drink. I have a coffee, but it's midday. I do it like around now. So I would say, I, I change that to midday, then we're fine. You know, the two most common answers are both and neither. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happens. Uh, number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Uh, believe in yourself more. Uh, I was so mentally weak at that time. Um, I just didn't believe that. I, I, I had so many personal limitations on myself. So I would just tell myself that you're so much you're going to be able to do. Just believe in yourself more. God, that is powerful stuff. You and me both, my friend. I should <laughs> I should mention that too. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Um, man, that's a good one. Uh, I, I, you know, because because it's, uh, I like Relentless a lot. Um, Tim I, I, you know, but but Tim Grover, I love that book. I give that book out a lot. Um, but it depends on the person, but I would say that's probably the book I have gifted the most. So, so I'm going to say that book, uh, you know, that book enabled me to access a part of me that I thought there was something wrong with. And he told me it was okay. So I, I really love that book. Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Yeah. So I, I think that um, my vulnerability has always been shyness, which people don't, nobody believes me when I tell people that, <laughs> that I'm a shy person, but with shyness. And, and now, you know, I, I was so afraid of it. I hit it. I would just hide in the corner. I was just hoping people wouldn't notice me. So I think now that, I, that I, I use that to my advantage, you know, that I still feel the same way when I walk into rooms, but I, I, I am conscious of it and, and, and I attack it instead of, you know, re, re, uh, receding into the corner. Yeah. It's probably giving you a strong empathy for a whole bunch of people that you see in different situations yeah, too. For sure. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? 
it's the best thing ever. Uh, I love failure. Uh, you know, failure is, is, uh, what fuels everything I do. And I don't look at failures as failures anymore. I look at it as, as, as a stepping stone to, to my next great thing, but you have to fail to become good at anything. And, and I think failure is the greatest thing that can happen to you as long as you don't let it stop you. Yeah, it's a great point. And for people out there who may have not experienced the success they want, maybe it's because you have not experienced the amount of failures that you need to be able to, to, be able to get there. Uh, number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, hands down, Kobe Bryant. I, you know, He resonated with me maybe even more after his career than during his career. We're, we're the same age and uh, just his family stuff and a lot of stuff he did. I, I would love to just talk to him about his mental, his mental conditioning because I, I think it's just unbelievable. So yeah, Kobe Bryant. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? Uh, I would say my calendar. Uh, if, as long as I stick to my calendar, I'm okay. If not on my calendar, I don't know it's there. And when people don't, uh, you know, I, I said it's email. It's like, hey, I have this and this available in my calendar, and they don't respond. And the next day, they email like, hey, can you? I was like, no, it's not. It's not on the calendar. I can't, like, I have to use my calendar to, to to sort my life, or I don't know what I would do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. One thing on my bucket list. That's good. That's a good one. Uh, I think that. Whew, damn, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I think that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so goal re- goal oriented in the moment. That's tough sometimes, but I think I would like to, uh, qualify for the Boston marathon, uh, running a marathon, qualify from Boston, which at my age, I think is I have to run sub three ten. So I think that, I think that that's on my bucket list. Maybe some coffee could help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, get me there. <laughs> and final question. Number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Uh, Every day I try to wake up with a pe- positive attitude. And even if I'm, I don't have a positive attitude, I'm not a positive person every single day, just like everybody else is, that I force myself into a place of, you know, don't let negativity take over your mind. It continue to be positive and something positive will happen. So uh, pushing myself to, to, to really be positive every single day is, is definitely something I practice daily. Mm, powerful stuff. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Ralph and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow him on Instagram at R-D-I-B-U-G. Check out his show, The Disruptors Network, available everywhere and visit his website, ralphdebugnaro.com. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Ralph, so great to see you. Thanks for sharing so much gold today and coming on the Win the Day show. Thanks, James. I really appreciate you having me. This is great. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As you heard, our guests love to hear positive feedback no matter where they're at in their careers. So share a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway so our guests know they made a difference in your life today. If you own your own business and would like to learn how to grow it using your podcast, download a free copy of our Recurring Results Roadmap. You can find that link in the show notes. And if you're new to the Win the Day show, hit the subscribe button so you can get access to episodes like this one as soon as they are released. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.